So, when I was growing up, uh, into my teens and, and uh, early 20s, there were only a couple big-name Adventist singers in the music industry. You had uh, the heritage singers. A lot of the older folks know what I'm talking about. You had the group of guys from Oakwood College who sang a cappella, and they called themselves Take Six. And then you also had the amazing gospel voice of Wintley Phipps. Uh, Loma Linda Church, it is an honor and a blessing uh, to have Pastor Phipps here with us. Uh, please give him a warm Loma Linda welcome. Praise the Lord. It is an honor to be here with you today. As you can tell, uh, at the age of 15 years old, I woke up one morning talking like this. <laughs> and... Uh, my wife is here with me today. I want you to meet Linda. We're from Florida, darling. That's my wife, Linda. <laughs> I've been asked to do a couple of songs for you, and this first song is a song that captures our Adventist message for these times. We are living in a time when Babylon... <laughs> or confusion is encroaching everywhere in our lives. But we believe that the church of God will triumph over Babylon. We believe that Jesus will triumph over confusion. Listen to the words and the message in this song. I hope you're blessed. Would topple given time 
as would nations, kings, and merchants intoxicated by her wine. The prophets try to warn her, heed the writing on the from her wicked ways before the day the wrath of God would fall. Oppressor of God's people, Babylon so powerful and strong, she thought she was invincible, but God would prove her wrong. An angel filled with glory shall descend shall proclaim Babylon the great is fallen she will die in sin and shame another voice from heaven will be heard across the who claim to be God's church. Come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sin, for I'm coming back for a glorious church, undefiled and pure. me in spirit and truth and is faithful to the end I will say well done a crown of life you've won come sit and reign with me throughout eternity
Amen, amen. My wife and I, at uh, the end of August last year, I did a concert at the uh, main church in Seoul. We had a wonderful time there. Ate a lot of good, ate a lot of good food, amen. Kimchi, I enjoyed it, praise God. <laughs> and uh, I am here today, this weekend, because uh, I started about 20 years ago, well, over 20 years ago, the first ministry of its kind in the United States of America. I see that you help World Vision and we do a lot of things overseas. But I don't know if you know it, but one of the great crises of homelessness in America is in San Bernardino, California. It was declared last year as a crisis. And uh, 20, over 20 years ago, I started the first ministry that provides tutoring and mentoring in the name of Christ to children whose parents are in prison in the United States. And we have centers in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, Houston, Salt Lake City. I don't know if you know it, but one of every three men who look like me are right now, right now in America, in prison. One of every three. Either in prison or supervised by the court system of the United States of America. And we found that about 70% of the kids who go to prison come from the children of those who are in prison now. So we saw that as a mission field. And we focus help in the name of Christ on children whose parents are in prison and children falling behind in school because when a child is not doing well in school, that child is a candidate for prison. And uh, God has blessed us all over the country. And an appeal was made that we open a Dream Academy Center to do the work we do in San Bernardino, California. So a year ago, we started working on it, trying to raise support and funds. And it takes about a couple of hundred thousand dollars to get it all going. We're almost there, but we're stepping out in faith. And tomorrow at 3.30 at the San Bernardino Church, we're going to open a Dream Academy Center for children whose parents are incarcerated and children falling behind in school in San Bernardino. And you're welcome to come. I'm going to do a mini concert there as well as part of the opening at 3.30 tomorrow. At this time, I'm going to do an old, beautiful hymn and... Uh, You'll see many scenes in it of places around the world that we have traveled to. I hope you're blessed. I 
Happy Sabbath. I feel, I feel like my voice is not good enough all of a sudden. Uh, Dream Academy asked us if they could do special music. And I said, well, I think about it. And what I did not know was uh, it was Pastor Phipps who was going to sing. So I told my praise leaders, hey, this guy named um, Whitney Phipps wants to do a special music. And they just went crazy. They're like, are you kidding me? You don't know him? He is uh, he's, uh, Adventist Music Ministry Royalty. Just, I didn't know. I'm so sorry, Pastor. I didn't know. You're going to have, you're gonna have to come back and do more songs. Thank you. He needs to go and do more songs somewhere else. So let's give him a hand one more time. Thank you so much. Uh, in Korea, I don't know if they still do this. They, they probably don't, but it's almost like borderline abuse. But in the old days in Korea, if you wet your bed, they would make you put on the rice sifter on your head and go around the village and collect salt. Okay, so you're, you're pretty much telling the whole village that I wet my bed, okay? Do you see that? Yeah, this kid, I don't know why he's so happy about it. That's, that's better. You see the kid in the back? That's the right face right there because you shouldn't be, have you no shame? You, you shouldn't be, you should be really embarrassed that you did that. And, you know, so the whole, th- this whole thing is actually the, the culture of shaming. When you educate your kids or people, they would use shame to teach them. We do this all the time. You see a kid, a child uh, doing something bad, you know, you can't just say, hey, don't do that. That's not, that's not nice. But what do we do when we see some kids doing something bad? You know what we do? We go, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? You go, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? It's like a kid comes and you're like, what are you doing, kid? You know? (laughs) Right? Why would you do that? (laughs) We use shame. It's the culture of shaming. Shame is different to some extent from language to language and culture to culture. How shame is shaped, modified, experienced, interpreted, and dealt with may be different. However, it is true that shame is a common feeling and concept across cultures. Universally, shame exists in all languages and cultures. Even animals. Look at this video. Somebody. Somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Now, I'm going to go look at the suspects. Suspect number one. 
you, Macy? See your face. Did you do this? Did you? I don't think you did. Number two. What? Did you do this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. It's amazing that we can come to your house and worship together. Now, as we open the Bible, open our hearts also. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The New Revised Version says, Your faces shall never be ashamed. Dogs don't feel shame. Come on. Okay? They're just sensitive to human emotions, especially anger. They get scared, okay? When you get upset, they get scared, but they don't feel shame. In fact, dogs, they are shameless. If you have dogs, you know. Man, dogs are shameless, man. I give my dog an apple, and I eat my apple. My dog eats his apple in like two seconds, and he comes to me and drools right in front of me. Dogs are shameless. They don't understand the complexity of guilt and the sense of right or wrong. It's similar for human beings when they're infants, when they're very, very little. When the babies do something bad, you have to catch them right-handed and then say, no, don't do that. That's, That's not good. Don't touch that. Okay? If you tell an infant at night, Uh, Sweetheart, remember this morning when you threw that carrot on the floor? No, don't do that. Uh, Is it going to work? You know what the one-year-old baby is going to say to you? I know exactly what that one-year-old will say. Gaga goo goo. That's what infant is going to say, okay? But when they grow up, they will understand, right? They will learn how the complexity of guilt and the sense of right and wrong, they'll learn the reasons why we have to do things and reasons why we should not do things. They will learn the universal human emotion of shame. When I was in junior high, my friend started stealing things. Okay? And well, they didn't rob banks or anything, but they would go to a store and, and steal things like gum or, 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 or like chocolate, you know, and they would come back to school and like brag about it, like, oh, I got free chocolate. And they would have like a bunch of chocolates from their backpack. And they would always dare me to steal something too. They're like, you can get it for free. 
You know, I knew I would never do stuff like that. Not because I thought stealing was bad or what they were doing was stupid, but because I thought I would never be brave to steal. But one day, yes, one day, I was at a bookstore. I don't know what took over me, but I wanted to put the two books that were in my hands and into my pocket and leave and steal those books. My heart was pounding so fast, I didn't walk too fast because I didn't want to look suspicious, right? I walked out of the store and I stole two books. After stealing two books, I couldn't even brag to my friends because I stole books. What a nerdy thing to do, right? And the books I stole, they're not like the books that would make junior high school boy popular at school. You know what I mean? They're like school textbooks. And I didn't even, I didn't even read them because I hate reading. After, I felt so stupid. Not because I stole something, because I thought I would need bravery to steal. And then I thought about what I've done, something that my parents taught me all the time, something that I've learned from Sabbath school all the time, something that I've learned all the people who love me taught me. They'll be so disappointed. And I didn't want anyone to know that I stole something. And I felt guilty. And I felt ashamed. Many times in my adult life, I think about it, and still I feel terrible. I didn't know how to make things right. And this feeling would haunt me time to time. We know this feeling, right? It's called shame. We all have something we don't want anyone to find out. Our dark secrets. We don't want anyone to know. We feel ashamed. A lot of people struggle with some things that we do or, or we have done, some things, some things happened long ago, but they still haunt us, right? We don't want anyone to know. We feel ashamed. Guilt is a verdict, an awareness of failure. Shame is a feeling, a sense of exposed Guilt and shame are ingrained in our human experience. We're all very familiar with them. Today's passage says, hey, this is what today's passage is saying. Hey, this is how you should deal with shame. Seek the Lord. He's the answer. He'll make it right. He makes you unashamed. He can make you feel unashamed. 
Where does shame come from anyway? What, what is this emotion? Why do we feel this way? To understand this, we have to look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. This happened at the dawn of humanity. There is, there's a story in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Eve was in the Garden of Eden, but she wasn't at a place she wasn't supposed to be. She was talking to the serpent she wasn't supposed to, uh, and she was touching a fruit she wasn't supposed to. A lot of red flags, right? And look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the food of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were what? Church? They were what? Naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Here at the beginning of history, our first parents found themselves under the weight of a guilt verdict and responded with shame. Shame expressed here in feeling naked. You see, the moment sin entered, human beings did not know how to deal with it. That is shame. Human beings by ourselves cannot deal with sin, so we don't know what to do about our guilt. That is shame. They felt naked. Then they tried to cover themselves with tree leaves, but it didn't really work. Why not? Because leaves cannot cover your shame. Then guess who shows up? God. Look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cold of the day. Probably God always walked with them during that time, so he showed up. And he's like, where are you? Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They felt wrong. They, they felt like there was something wrong with them. They felt naked. Something about them was not right. We look at our sin and, and see the lenses of, of judging and condemning and we decide that there's something wrong with us, that we are defective. Shame makes you live in fear and shame makes you want to hide. Verse 11, he said, this is God. Who told you that you are naked? Who told you that you are naked? Who told you that you are naked? You know, I love this about God. He didn't say, I know what you did. I see everything. I know everything. I know what you did. God didn't say that. No. God said, who told you that you are naked? Who told you that you're not okay as you are? Who told you that there's something wrong with you? Who told you that you need to measure up and you don't measure up? 
Who told you that your eyes are not big enough or, or you're not pretty enough or you're not, you're not good looking enough, you're not tall enough? Who told you that you're ugly or stupid or who told you that you're too fat or too skinny? Who told you that you're not talented as your brother and you're not smart as your sister? Who told you that you're worthless, that you're not good enough? Who told you that you are defective? We know the answer. Who, who said that? Lucy. Oh, somebody's catching on at our church. That's right. There's Lucy, Lucifer, or Satan, a.k.a. the what? Devil. Or the master accuser. He accuses us, and we have no answer. It was like we took poison when we took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and we didn't know how to deal with it. We had no ability to heal ourselves. So we're left with feeling ashamed. Her life was a wreck. After five failed marriages, she stopped with the weddings She came to the well when the sun was blazing so she could draw water alone and hide from all other people and their comments and and their whispers and their judging and condemning eyes. He was a powerful man who abused his power to sleep with another man's wife. To make the matter worse, she got pregnant. And out of fear of exposing his wickedness, he tried to hide behind a cover-up that turned murderous. He denied Jesus three times after being called to be his disciple, though he spent three and a half years of training and learning from the master teacher, he failed miserably. He went back home to catch fish again, feeling ashamed. The Bible is not about perfect people, is it? It's about broken people like you and me. People who are guilty. People who feel ashamed. But here is what the Bible teaches us about shame. God's power breaks shame and hold on us. He breaks us free. You see, there's only one place to hide that offers the protection we seek where all our shame is covered and we no longer need to fear. The refuge of Jesus. There's a beautiful parallel of nakedness we find in the Bible. On the cross, Jesus became naked for our sake. In other words, on the cross, Jesus took our shame. Genesis chapter 3 actually talks about this. And the Lord God made the garments of skins for the man and for his wife he clothed. Pretty much what he's saying is that God had to kill an animal to cover our nakedness. 
Jesus' death and resurrection is the only remedy for the shame we feel over our grievous sin. There's nowhere else to go with our sin. There's no other atonement. We cannot cover our shame, but Jesus covers our sin. Shame pronounces us guilty and deficient. Jesus pronounces us guiltless and promises that his grace is sufficient. He's the power which breaks us free from shame. That's what happened to woman at the well. That's what happened to King David. That's what happened to Peter. And that is what happens to us in Christ. You know, shame can take on many forms, many different forms. It hides in the shadows of the most successful, confident, and high-achieving men and women. Sometimes it lingers for many years and haunting us, telling us we're not good enough, we're not well, we are damaged, we are defective. But we can't find freedom in Jesus. so that we can live unashamed. He became naked for our sake, and he was slayed to cover our shame. You know why I chose Psalm 34, verse 4 and 5 for today's passage? The word unashamed in verse 5 was only used twice in the Bible. It was used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. They were naked, but they felt unashamed. And here today, Psalm 34, they were unashamed because of the radiance of God. We can live unashamed. Today, there are three brave young men. Can you guys stand up, those who are getting baptized? They will get baptized. Let's give them a hand. You may be seated now. That is a journey that our three brave young men are taking or starting today. When you get baptized, you are publicly announcing everyone that I accept Jesus and I can live my life unashamed. For most of you, you know that I'm not very emotional. I'm not, okay? But one day I was driving and I was listening to songs and only, you know, the songs somehow get me all emotional. And I was listening to uh, Big Daddy Weave's song called Overwhelmed. And let me read you the, the words for this song. Because at a certain point, I don't know what happened, I was just like, tears came through my, my eyes. I'm like, what's happening? What, what's this wet stuff from my face? What, what is going on? Why am I crying? It says, I delight myself in you. Captivated by your beauty, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you. God, I run into your arms. And listen to this, this is the part that I cried. God, I run into your arms unashamed because of mercy. All my failures all the best stuff I've done. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to deal with it. 
but because of God's mercy and grace all not shamed so I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by you I know the power of your cross forgiven and free forever you'll be my God and all that you've done is so overwhelming 